1: From coast to coast and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Online with Bill Alexander is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio around. Online with Bill Alexander.
0: Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric alexander All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander. Here at Mixtape Radio International, that's mtri.co.uk, around the world and around the clock. We're also on live at wmck.fm, the keysport. And we're on every Sunday morning at WLDJ FM 107.5 Newcastle. And our newest addition to the lineup is... Uh, (laughs) 99.1 FM Radio Rehoboth at RadioRehoboth.com, 6 p.m. on Tuesdays and Awakens. We're on there at noon Eastern Time um, on Tuesdays also. So we're pretty much uh, growing quickly. Um, And we have a couple more stations coming on. We have a new one coming on, hopefully before the end of the month, called Steel FM, and we'll find out more information about that. And once I do, I will send that to you. So yours truly, Bill Alexander, with you on a Monday night, um, just after the hour of 10 o'clock here on the East Coast. Hope everything's going fine. On the phone line tonight, this should be a real fun interview. The gentleman I'm talking with tonight is Wayne McFarland. And he has a book out and it's interesting to read. I love reading the um the reviews of the book. <laughs> and this book is a memoir of sorts. It's shark fishing in one's underwear, roping a bear, getting drunk with your grandfather, or losing ten grand at the Hollywood sign in a memoir or the day Johnny Cash hit on my wife is one of the rosters as well. For only uh, name dropping a few things in all the stories, it sounds like it's going to be a good time tonight. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. And on the phone line right now, we have uh, Wayne McFarland. Wayne, how are you
1: doing? Hey, Wild Bill. I am doing great. Thanks for the intro. That was nice. <laughs>
0: so uh, so i'm going through all this and i get i get the information on the book and i look at it and you look like uh on the cover that you you could be everybody's favorite uncle wayne that you'd sit around and tell stories and from what i can tell about the book that's what this is you're sitting around and telling stories
1: yeah pretty much that's it and you know the cover shot uh I, I think they ripped that off from the Gonzo journalists, but you know, I was, I was flattered for a minute until I thought, "Yeah, well, he blew his brains out, and then had his ass shot in the air in fireworks." So I'm, I'm not sure if that was a compliment or an insult. Uh, well, but, yeah, take it
0: either way, I guess. So the the whole book is basically your stories, correct?
1: Yeah, there. Uh, uh, how it all came about, I. You know, we had a company, uh, my wife and I, and we sold it. And as you and I were talking earlier, after I, I've always loved to read. And after about a year or so, I just got crushingly bored. And so I started really focusing on reading memoirs and uh, biographies and stuff. And after reading a bunch of memoirs, I came to the conclusion, you know, Bill, by and large, memoirs really suck. Yeah, well, I, I was I, just going to say the same thing. Yeah. And you know, an old humorist by the name of Will Rogers had a thing where he said, "You know, when a, a memoir is where you write down all the stuff that you didn't do, and you leave out everything you did do." Okay. And one thing about number, one thing about the memoirs that I read, I thought, you know, it you doesn't know, give me this stuff about about you know this polished lifestyle and, and helping old people across the street. I mean, really life is you go along and you fall into stuff and you don't really intend to do it like you all saw about draining the swamp and finding yourself up your backside in alligators. Right. And so I thought, you know, I don't want to read some memoir about somebody who thinks that we're interested in hearing about how they used to put skates on their shoes and go up and down the sidewalk <laughs> or blink. Kick the can until dark. I know no one cares. No one wants to hear that, you know. Uh, uh, having Johnny Cash hit on your wife, people might want to hear that. That's
0: a good but story. I, I
1: don't. Yeah. So I figured, well, let's let's tell it worse and all and see what happens.
0: What I, what I think is interesting about yours is that everybody, it seems like when they write a memoir, they have to have a moral to the memoir. I lived a good life, so yeah. this happens. Yeah. To me, you're, te- you're telling <laughs> yeah. real stories, and that's the best part of it. I can tell you the story, which I do every chance I get, that I was Joan but Jett's yeah. chauffeur when I was in college. But that's for another time. Oh, good.
1: But, good one, yeah. I good mean, one.
0: we all have these types of stories with people that, um, that we that we've talked to that we've been with. I interviewed Steve Allen, the comedian, on the rare on the air. And, and and actually made a comment that was negative toward, towards him f- about three minutes before we got on the air. And I thought the interview would never happen. Lucky for me that <laughs> he was a professional and kept on going because I thought he was a jerk on the phone. But he's dead now. I can say that. But but again, we ha- <laughs> we have these stories. And it sounds to me that yep. some of your stories are the most interesting out there because they actually cool. happened.
1: Yeah, I, I sure hope you're right. You know, it's like <laughs> what you do, Bill, when you put a show out there. I mean, you don't know how people are going to react. No. And I put all this stuff together. In my wife and I sat looking at each other, and I thought, Well, there's either going to be like like Nagasaki or launching the Titanic or or a success, one of the two. And until it gets out there, you don't know for sure if people are. Well, you know how it goes. There, there... You don't know how people are going to react to what you do.
0: There's a review on your website, which is "Tale from the Day." And this one, I think, was actually, uh, it's very well written, so I don't know who wrote it, but it says, kept getting the look from my wife due to my constant laugh. The book has 19 chapters, many with hilarious stories and great turns of phrase. Like MASH TV series of old, the comedy is occasionally broken with jarring returns to reality. When I read that, and I'm going, wow, if he's able to do that, that he's he's taking us into these stories and then bringing us back to where we are. That's kind of awesome to be able to do that. And the stories about his family, especially his grandpa, passes long life lessons and the easy, uh, to remember format. So I take it your grandfather was a big influence on your life.
1: Well, he was what can be called as Louis L'Amour used to say, a man with the bark on. Okay, mean, he was. I used to spend I used to spend summers there on a kind of a hardscrabble farm in South Dakota. And um, he, uh, uh, he was known to do things like uh, my introduction to his his uh, uh, moralism and sense of justice was one night when I sat down to eat and he asked me if I'd fed the animals. And I said, I, I thought I'd get something to eat first. And next thing I knew, he'd thrown me out the back door off of what we, we called the porch and landed in, you know, a summer's worth of chicken crap and um and he as i ran to the barn he was screaming after me you always feed the animals first because they depend on you right they depend on you and uh my uncle i told my uncle before he died and he told me he'd only gotten one beating from his father my grandfather i'd only gotten one myself and when he was 10 they went hunting together now in south dakota this is sort of like walking through the vatican and having the pope bless you i mean it's a big deal to go on the first hunting trip with with your father or you know whoever and so they were always they were always broke that's a chronic condition in south dakota and granddad scraped up a gun from somewhere an old 410 shotgun and and according to my uncle, they were out hunting, and a pheasant got up right in front of them. You know how they fly, right? And he was so excited. He was so excited, my uncle, that he, he shot it right away, and it basically blew the bird to pieces. And because they were so close, and he said the next thing he knew, he was getting a beating, and and his father taking his gun and throwing it on the field, and was screaming, "You always give them a chance when you're hunting. You always give them a chance." Right. And he said that was his something that he never forgot and that's kind of the way it was it was rough but uh and the work was unceasing but uh and i couldn't wait to get away from there i'm not going to say it made me the man i am today no running away from the farm made me the man i am today (laughs) you know uh, the of people get nostalgia but it's nostalgic about being on a farm are people who have not been on the farm
0: right oh yeah um, yeah, I, I, I understand, I understand that because, uh, where I ri- live is actually outside of the city of Pittsburgh and it's a rural area. And I know a lot of farmers and, uh, family members of farmers oh, who stuff. say the same thing that you get nostalgic stuff, for stuff, it. If you've never lived on one, that's, uh, <laughs> that's the, the other, the yeah. other one is too, is you're always getting nostalgic for a war you never fought in either. So
1: <laughs> exactly you just have to sit down and write your own memoir. That's
0: exactly <laughs> correct. <laughs> um, I've been around the block once, uh, almost twice. But, yeah, I, un- I understand where you're coming from with this. So some of those stories in the book, were they easier to write than others?
1: Yeah, well, I think that these were all about the same level of difficulty because – they were experiences that made such an impact on me. Okay. Uh, I was I was getting beat on to write a second series. And, you know, I, I sat down and, and Bill and I started to, you know, I wrote one or two and I looked at them and I thought, you know, I'm really stretching, I'm really reaching here. You know, if you've got to take an experience that is – not meaningful, and then if you're a good writer, you can kind of maybe blow it into something. Right. I, I, I just couldn't do it. I thought, well, I squeezed the lemon dry on this one. So maybe next one will be a book about milking cows or something. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think I'm, I'm about done with the tales.
0: Um, I, I find that interesting you say that because um, that a lot of writers, if they found a niche that they're good, good at, they keep going back yeah. to that well as much as they can. But hearing you say, yeah. I'm, I'm only going to be able to give one. If I can only do one book, that's the one I'm going to give. And with 19 chapters, that's a lot of stories.
1: Yeah, and, and what I did when they were beating on me to write a second book, I wasn't quite through with all the tales yet. So I, I wrote another eight Added them to the original book. Okay. Now, now so there's, Now there's a total of 27. Wow. And I finished up the eighth one, and I thought, you know, I'm done here. <laughs> well, one thing that's going on right now, you know, with the ease of word processing and self-publication and all the rest of it, there's just, a, you know, I think that it's like producing a show you're producing without good, solid content. You know, a lot of the stuff that's out there now promoting, you know, being an author and write a book, they're all talking about, here's how you can write a book fast and you can pick a subject like a self-help subject, you know, right? how to quit worrying and become rich. But for me, it doesn't work like that. I mean, it, it, if my idea of being an author is not sitting down and, and writing, trying to gauge the popular whatever's going on right now, whether it be studying Zen or whatever it may be, and then writing a book about it. I suppose you can make a lot of money doing that, but to me, you know, a book has always, it has to have substance. And, And that's it. And with tales from the day, you know, I was told that it was, it was death because memoirs simply are not currently. Right. Uh, You know, chapters, standalone chapters woven together in kind of a narrative arc, if you will. Uh, It's just, you know, various agents and stuff said, what are you, crazy? Nobody's going to do that. And now, as it turns out, as you know, we live in a a Twitter world, 140-character world. So being able to delve into a book and read a chapter or two chapters and they're complete a story, even if you don't like the story, but they're complete. So you don't have to read, you know, 200 pages to, to get the book. That means I'll probably never write To Kill a Mockingbird or something <laughs> like that, but <laughs> well, but that was my view.
0: When when you, when you look at it and you say each chapter is a standalone, um, which I yeah. think is kind of interesting. And as I mentioned to you before we went on tonight, I said, this to me is like these stories that you would get from that uncle that if he's had one yeah. or two too many to drink and he starts talking about the <laughs> stories and they're the same stories he tells over again. And you actually put them down on paper or in a digital format yeah. so we can actually now read them. And here, and some of the some of the chapter titles that you have, The Day Kenny's Cousin Tried to Kill Us All, The Day We Pitched the Lone pitched loan Shark, uh, We Lost 10 Grand at the Hollywood Sign, uh, I don't. Uh, the day we humped a cement mixer—that sounds like a really good one there.
1: <laughs> that just tells us about your mindset.
0: <laughs> uh, let's see. The day we went shark fishing in our underwear. Um, the day I became an ass producer. Again, some of these are really interesting titles that you don't really don't need a book for. But the one I'd love to hear is is the day of of my grandfather the psychopath. That there sounds uh, <laughs> very interesting.
1: Well, we—I I wrote a story about my 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 granddad uh, called "The Day the, Grand, the Game Warden Died," and it started out with a, a, a true paragraph or two about how he he shot a working dog in front of my cousin and I. Okay, and Bill people people went crazy. I mean, that one got published on. In something called Aussie, which has I don't know, forty million readers or something. It's an online thing, so it's a big break. But people went nuts. I was getting these these emails about how this guy, who is now passed, should be kept away from children. <laughs> well, I felt like that when I was a, when I was a child, uh-huh. and uh, and they were just shrieking about how he must have been a psychopath to do such a thing. So I wrote a story about it, and, and you know that's. And everybody was shouting, my granddad was a psychopath. And, you know, like, I suppose in terms of today's definitions of stuff, that may have a little traction. But when he grew up and when he was raising six kids, four of which he delivered on his own kitchen table I wow. Uh Yeah. I mean, they, it was just different then. That there wasn't, you know, if you stepped on a rusty nail or, uh, or you caught some kind of disease, you're likely going to die. Right. And in turn, yeah. And they were on the farm during the, uh, during the depression in the dust bowl. So what the point of the story was, is that it was different then. there was no help. You couldn't even call anybody because nobody had a phone. And so what the, the story is, this is, one of, this, this is one of the very few in there that isn't going to really leave you rolling in the aisles in terms of humor. But my grandmother told me about this over the years and it was years later, Bill, she still trembled to talk about it where a couple of their kids walked out to a far pasture and they looked up just in time to see a dust storm approaching. Mm -hmm. And they used to, they used to call them black tornadoes. Okay. And, uh, and if nobody went and got those kids, those kids were going to die. And, uh, and there was nobody to go get them. And whichever parent went to get them was probably going to die. Right. I mean, because it was just – just... so anyway, uh, my granddad took their old winter scarves out of the drawer and ran after them, racing the storm to save his kids that he lost the race. By the time he got to the road, the storm was on him. Okay. And from what I read about him, it's pitch black. And the winds are screaming and you can't see anything. And so granddad followed the kids. And the only way he could follow them was by grabbing the fence through the ditches as he walked. And the fences were barbed wire. So he went down the road and he found them. How he found them, no one knew because he was on the other side of the road, but he found them. And he told me later that, um, that he was really proud of him because he told him one time, you ever get caught in a dust storm, get to a culvert, you know, a pipe right. that runs underneath the road for, and stick your head in it. And he said when he found it, these two kids were fighting with each other, not to stick their own head in the culvert, but to get their their sister's head in the culvert, right? And they were like 10 and 8 years old. So he picked them up and went, turned around and went back to the house, which then he had to grab. The barbed wire fences with his other hand
0: mm-hmm.
1: all the way. And um, and he always made light of it. He said, well, I got back there and I just went up to the house, but he had to crawl up the driveway and my grandmother told me that later she heard him pounding in the door. She let him in and there were blood stains on the door from the heel of his hand. Now, for people now, that seems incomprehensible. Right. He just called 911, right? Right. But Many years later, as happens sometimes, you know, when you're a kid and you grow up with either your parent or your grandparent, my grandmother had passed and he came to my parents' house, which was about 120 miles away for a doctor's appointment or something. And and granddad and I were close, but we never, we were, our background was so different. Our conversations would kind of just dribble off, right? Right. So we're sitting there looking out into the winter landscape, having to be winter again. And suddenly I had an inspiration. I said, hey, you want to go see some fish? And Granddad said, fish? Are they dead? Dead fish? I don't want to go see dead fish. I said, no, no, no. There's, we're in Fargo, North Dakota. I said, there's a bar in town called the Aquarium Bar. and uh, And they have live fish in these big tanks. And they're colorful, and they look great. And so off we went, right? So we went to the bar. And when we got back to the house, kind of weaving around, holding on to each other, <laughs> my, my my mother showed up. And I swear to God, Billish, if, if she could have breathed fire, I would have been burnt <laughs> to Christmas. And, and she put her father to bed and gave me a lecture that was so blistering <laughs> I, I I burns from it today. And the only thing I ever said about the story that well, it was worth it. Yeah. So that that was it. And that's that's the way it was. And nobody thought anything of it. I mean you had a family and that's the way the times were and you did what you had to do to take care of business. I, I, and it's like I said but, i think
0: ahead. I think what's interesting about this and and I've noticed this because, as you mentioned earlier that because we're in such a digital age, you don't have this type of yeah. connection and this storytelling and when people tell stories, we actually know them better, we become closer with those individuals and these stories for a lot of families, these are history that are being told. What's nice about this for for future family members for you, like that story about your grandfather and and the storm, that is something that these kids can look back on. They may not understand it, but they understand yeah. what he did to bring those kids back in again and to save their lives. And he wasn't worried about his own well being because and I'm I'm thinking about it, and I'll be honest with you, when you said barbed wire, I'm realizing that every time he grabbed that fence, it was going through his hand. Because if That's he, exactly if he right. was, pull, I mean, I, I mean, I've been stuck with barbed wire before. I know how much that hurts. So I can't imagine of the adrenaline flowing that quick to get those three kids back to that house so quickly to go in and then being able to save them and not and not worried about your own well-being, but being wor- worried about those three kids. Again, these are stories that you can only tell by another family member doing it cuz we all our families have these stories and there's there my in-laws and and my family it's 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 just a melting pot and it's so cool to be able to listen to them now of course probably a lot of yours are humorous and it all depends on the way you tell them now one thing i noticed is that you said that you recorded your own audiobook version of the stories yeah did you follow yeah, the stories word for word in the book, or did word you... Word for word. Okay, I wanted to know word if you were word. just elaborating just a little bit when you told the stories. Be-
1: no, no, it, I, I, I felt that, you know, to... That's a good point, uh, Bill, an excellent point, as a matter of fact. I felt if I'm going to do this, then I, I think I have a responsibility. I don't know if it's artistic or not, but to... To put things down the way that I believe and remember that they happened. Right. And not to exaggerate. You don't need to exaggerate some of this stuff. No. It's like you and I were talking about local radio and pitching a loan shark. I mean, you need to exaggerate that?
0: No. No, I don't think so. No, not at all. (laughs) I mean, and I can go back and I'm thinking stories right now that are just flooding back to me. Um, I told one on the air the other night, I I do an oldies program for another station, and I played the Ray Stevens song, The Streak, which how it came up in rotation is beyond (laughs) me. Um, (laughs) And I I remember being an eight-year-old kid at my cousin's wedding, they were getting ready to do a bridal dance, and my other cousin and I... Had quarters, and we started loading the juice box. While well, the song we kept playing over and over again during the bridal dance was "The Streak." <laughs> she never fo- going
1: to tell me. It's never for danger, right? <laughs> <laughs> she
0: never. She, well, I don't know uh, if she ever found out, but I'm afraid now since I made it public, uh, almost uh, <laughs> almost forty eight <laughs> years later, she knows who it is. So, again, it's just. <laughs>
1: I thought you were going to tell me you undressed. And no, 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 party. no.
0: No, I wasn't that bad. But <laughs> okay. I can tell you, at the same wedding, I had my first beer as I was driving my dad crazy. And uh, he ah. said, here, take it. I was eight years old at the time, and he said, here, take it. That, that was the first one, and that was the last one for a long time. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but that's that's stayed in your memory, right? Oh.
0: Heck yeah. Dead. And it was and the funny thing is if I remember correctly and I don't know if you're familiar with it it was a beer that was out, out of this area called Schmidt's and it was really bad.
1: Schmidt beer? Of Schmitt.
0: course. I mean how
1: how how, how can I not know Schmidt? I I know
0: I can I, I can, mean, can tell you the size of the bottle, I can tell you what the label looked like because again <laughs> it had a lasting impression. But these to me are the types of stories that made life interesting and fun. Because we've all experienced something in some way, shape, or
1: form. Well, I'll tell you, Bill. One of the things I've enjoyed so much about releasing this book, and I to to my I didn't expect it, and to my eh, not my surprise, really. But I, it's been one of the great, great pleasures I've had in the past few years is interviews like this. They're rare anymore. I mean, what you're doing, uh, putting together. These live shows—it's effectively like local radio used to be, and and that's gone. It's oh, yeah. gone, and it ain't coming. You know, if we're not for people like you guys doing what you're doing online and building up these kind of shows. You know, the old traditions would be would be gone, and I, you know, I miss those because I, I did a lot of work in local radio, and as as did you, I believe. Oh yes, and as, as you. And I both recall, it was like a, working in a carnival. <laughs> and I worked at local radio stations where the owners, I, you know, they never paid for anything no. until the IRS figured it out. No. They traded everything. You needed food, you needed booze, you wanted a car. You go to somebody and say, I got I some commercials for your whatever it was. Yeah. Of course, they hadn't sold the airtime anyway. So, uh, But people, you know, I tell people how wild it used to be and they, they just don't, can't comprehend no, it. No, not so at all. So tight lace now. You know? And, and,
0: and so. the, the bad thing I, and especially in the days of radio, is that I got in on the tail end of it right before corporate buyout started to happen. And that's when radio became a corporation and not the local yep. market that we're familiar with. Because like you said, we could all tell stories about the owner who would be able to get that new car every two years, and it wasn't because he paid for it, it was because he gave away
1: ad time <laughs>
0: to get it. And we couldn't so, I couldn't so figure right, out why he could afford one, and we couldn't.
1: <laughs> so right before the great corporate buyout started, yeah. I got this call from a guy I knew, and he said, hey, I just bought a little daytime radio station in Las Vegas. Now, you know, I don't know if your audience knows, but it they're over-the-air broadcasting. There used to be licenses where you could broadcast at a higher power during the day than yes. at night. So uh, a little pot boilers, they you recall. So anyway, he calls me up and he says, I got this great idea. And I said, oh, God, I mean, this guy's quite a character. I said, what's that? He said, we are going to trade for everything. <laughs> We're not going to take any cash for our advertising. We're going to pay for everything, and you are going to help me. Okay. <laughs> and he offered me. Yeah, a little money, too. So I went into Las Vegas, and we we did live like kings. I mean, we didn't pay for anything. We went to all the shows and food and parties, and, and it was all for unsold airtime, right? So so one day the owner calls me in his office, and he says, we're out of money. I said, well, no surprise there. Um, yeah. We haven't been bringing any in. And he said, you and I are going to go pitch Big Jim at Big Jim's Bail Bonds. Now, I got to tell you, I was due to Las Vegas, but even I knew Bill that this was the most notorious loan shark in town. And I said, you know, I'm not sure that's the brightest idea. And he said, I no, no, it'll be fine. I even made a commercial for the guy. And he plays me this commercial with a disc jockey's stentorian voice and upbeat music in the background. You know, if you get into trouble, call Big Jim and he'll bail you out and all that. And I thought, well, Hell, that sounds pretty good. So off we went. And we get to Jim's, Big Jim's Place of Business, and we go in the conference room. Now, Big Jim ran this with his son, Little Jim, who was mean as a rattlesnake. Okay. And so we get in, we get in the conference room, and and Little Jim, the rattlesnake, says, I don't even know why we're here. We're not going to buy anything from you idiots. And this, my friend, the station owner, said, no, we even got a commercial for you. And and the little Jim said, "We don't want to hear any stupid." And Big Jim, looking like you know a Godfather knockoff, said, (laughs) "No, I want to hear it. Play it." (laughs) So my 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 friend pushes the button, and instead of the commercial he played for me, out comes my friend's voice, backed by organ music in a minor key, and this was the dialogue have you killed your wife if you have money in the bank here at big jim's bail bonds we don't care have you hit your mom with an axe if you have equity in real estate here at big jim's bail bonds we don't care and little jim jumped out of his chair and i thought he was going to shoot us both i mean i've never <laughs> seen but his eyes actually bulged right? Uh-huh. and he he came up short he stopped when you could hear some hacking over in the corner and there was his dad, Big Jim, laughing so hard, I thought he was going to have a heart attack. Right. And when he when he finally calmed down, he looked at us and he said, you know, that took some stones. He <laughs> said, that was really stupid. But that took some stones. He said, okay, I'll buy your deal. I'll do it. But he said, I got two conditions. <laughs> now, this was a year contract, all cash up wow. front. Right. So <laughs> my friend, the station owner, is fumbling with his pen. What are the conditions, he said? Big Jim said there are two. One of them is you give me that commercial and it better be the only copy. He said the second condition is that you never run anything on the air without my approval. Right. Of course we said okay. And I thought he had taken that commercial to destroy it. But I heard years later that he played that commercial at every party he attended <laughs> right, up, right, right up until he went to jail. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh that's classic. Uh you're listening yeah, to good... You're listening to WMCK.fm McKees keys for WLDJFM 107.5 Newcastle mixtape radio international mtri.co.uk and of course our new affiliate radiorehoboth.com 91. One FM, and that, I think that's everybody. Uh, also at com, <laughs> I can't keep up with them. Uh, it's really funny that you mention this, Wayne, because um, I have a story very similar to that. Um, and by the way, audience, we're speaking to Wayne uh, McFarland <laughs> you do? from Tales from the Day. Yeah, um, I was working for uh, AM station in this area, and I was doing talk among being their program director and everything else. And and we, oh, hell, I'll mention the guy's name. You know who Fabian is, right? Of course. Okay. Fabian moved to this area with his wife, who was a model. And she is a graduate from one of the local high schools. And her dad owned a car dealership in the area. One of the nicest guys you ever meet, but I never met him. And there was always stories about him. So I go in, I get go into the station, I get ready to do my hours um, for the day, and I get a, I get a note from the secretary going, so-and-so wants to see you. He wants you to drive out right now. I said, really? He goes, I have work. No, drop everything and go out because they thought it was advertising <laughs> dollars. I said, fine, I'll go out. I got in the car, drove out to his car dealership, and I walked in. Well, there's nobody in the dealership except one person. I guess it was a secretary. He said, he's upstairs waiting for you. I'm going, okay. I'm going, what what the heck did I do now that was going to get me to meet with him? So I go in and you walk into the room and there's blue velvet on the walls. And I'm (laughs) thinking, huh? And I, I honestly I believe think there was a black velvet painting of Elvis up there too. And he looks at me and he goes, Hey Bill I said, Yeah, he goes, I really want to thank you. He said, the local media is being a real jerk to my son-in-law, Fabian. He says, I want to thank you. I said, why? He goes, you've been such a nice guy on the program. That's all you talk about, how Fabians come back to the area and do this. He goes, if you ever need anything from me, just let me know. I said, I'd like to have Fabian on the air. He goes, consider it done. We'll have them there. We'll take care of it. I said, wow, that's fantastic, because he was touring with his group that he still performs in. And he said, by the way, he goes, Merry Christmas. He handed me a fifth of Jim Beam. (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> walked out of the office, All right. I took a deep breath right. going, okay, we're good. So I went back to the station. Everybody goes, so what do they want? What do you want? He said, honestly, he wanted to thank me. They thought I was crazy. But again, it was one of those stories that to this day, I remember it. I can tell you what the office looked like and I can tell you what he looked like and what he said, because these are things yep. that stick with us. And that's the best part. Yeah, that's of it. right. But uh, and I did that's get the exactly interview exactly with Fabian right. just to let you know. And I spoke to his wife Andrea. Um, it was a great interview I too, know. really well. And 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 by the way, Fabian and Andrea, if you're listening to the program, I want you back on again because uh, <laughs> we need to do it one more time. But again, it it's just fun being able to tell these because people are able to relate to them, and 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 do it in a way that makes it entertaining. Now, the one I want to know about, and I'll tell you my Johnny Cash story after you tell your Johnny Cash story about how he hit on your wife.
1: <laughs> well, now, I really like his music and stuff. And I never... I met him a few times, but I never knew him that well. Okay. So as part of part of my speckled career, we were doing some special effects work and stuff. And I got a call from this guy. This guy called me up one day and said, Hey, we want you to do a little special effects promo with some lasers and stuff to open the Country Music Awards. Oh, holy buckets. You know, it was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Right. So in we go. Yeah. So in we go. And uh, I even bought a cowboy hat. And, boy, damn, I look good. No, is that the
0: one say. on the cover of the book?
1: <laughs> no, no. Oh, okay. The one I bought is long gone. Okay. And uh Anyway, uh, we got in there and we set up all of our stuff. And the first night, we were treated to a fistfight on stage between the sound manager and the <laughs> lighting guy because the uh, show was be- is going live to a third of the country. Right. So the show is being produced by a family entertainment group who still does stuff. So I'm going to leave nameless except to say they sort of oversold their ability to stage a big event like that. Gotcha. I.e., it was the first first one they ever did. And so they have to allocate a certain amount of time to everybody to set up, called loading time. And our equipment took two hours to set up, and we got 45 minutes. So you can imagine what happened. And when we opened the show, part of what we were doing was putting up pictures of country musicians and stuff. And, Bill, it was a rolling disaster. I mean, it was live. (laughs) It was live TV. And so uh, the entertainer country watching people's faces would show up on this big screen. And half the face would be on the left and half on the right. (laughs) And and so after that was over, I went to the backstage bar to uh, drown my sorrows. Right. And my wife had flown in. Now, Gloria and I have been together for a long time. And she got her Ph.D. in molecular biology. Now, Bill, my plane doesn't fly up there. But she was <laughs> <laughs> she was getting her degree at the time. Okay. I said, you got to come and see this. So she flew in, and she was there. And she <laughs> told me to go to the bar by myself, you know, and if you can't walk, don't come back. And uh, so I come back a few minutes later, and here, Bill, there must have been two, 300 people standing around in a very respectful circle. And in the middle of the circle was this tall guy, in black, and my wife, and he's saying stuff to her, you know, and she's just kind of looking at him and laughing or whatever. And pretty soon he turned on his heel and walked away. And I went over to her and I said, what did he say to you? And, Bill, I've been married to my wife for a long time. And I have prided her for years, and she never <laughs> will tell me what he said, except she said, "She said oh, just a bunch of nonsense. And it's probably better that she didn't tell me. Uh huh. So anyway, I, I kind of looked at her for a minute. I said, do you know who that was? And she said, no. I said, that was Johnny Cash. And I swear to you, this was not sarcastic or, or, uh-huh. or, or sardonic on her part. She looked at me, and she said, Who's Johnny Cash? Oh, my goodness. I thought, okay. I'm, I am said, I'm good. I'm safe on this one. I'm good. And so and night we left, and that was it. And I still don't know what he said to her. I think when I'm breathing my last. She'll tell you. That's when Gloria my wife, she'll tell me. <laughs> well, you're dying now. This is what he said to yeah. me.
0: <laughs> and that will be the last thing to put you over, too. Um, when uh, I, yeah,
1: probably. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, When I was two years old, my grandparents lived – actually, I have relatives still there – in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And Ah. I I was out there because we would travel from Pittsburgh to Albuquerque every year, every summer, because that's where my mother's from. And we would go to rodeos because that's what my grandfather liked. So we went to a rodeo. Well, that night at the rodeo, Johnny Cash was performing – so this would have been probably 1968. So that uh-huh. was the year that was right after the bo- uh, boy, named Sue was released, which I love that uh. song as a kid. Cause I knew the chorus. So Johnny Cash starts singing the song and I'm dressed in it. The- and there's photographs of me. Of course, there's no video dressed in this um, cowboy suit with a little red hat. And I, I'm standing up there and I, um, I must be bopping around and everything else. So I start singing and I start singing a boy named Sue when he does it. Well, all of a sudden from what the story goes, all these people turned around and looked at me. And when Johnny Cash realized what was going on, he stopped singing and everybody was staring at me. Embarrassed the heck out of my mother. (laughs) My grandfather walked <laughs> away, and there I am, just and I have no idea what's going on. So there's my Johnny Cash one. So, but uh, there's photographs, <laughs> but there's no video proof. Good.
1: But uh, <laughs> but well, yeah, a couple of times I I had some stories published, and they always came back to me and said, "You got you know, you got any cell phone pictures of this?" I said, "Hey, read my lips. There were no cell phones." <laughs> there <laughs> trust me on this so can i put in an unsolicited plug or a shame yeah sure go for it for my my book tales from the day available on amazon <laughs> barnes and noble and the best radio shows and bookstores everywhere <laughs> that, There, that's, that's why you're here plug
0: so plug. we can talk about it we just haven't mentioned it that much um <laughs> and there's one more I wanna...
1: oversight we have to, an, an oversight <laughs> we have to correct
0: one more i want to throw out real quick is my grandfather who was a uh Wonderful gentleman who passed away in the uh, late 80s. Um, he was a big drinker, and he would do stupid things when he drank. For example, he would go to these small small clubs in um, in the area of Albuquerque, and he would go see new performers. Well, one night he was at one with my mother and dad and my grandmother, and this young man stood up on stage and sang. No one knew who he was, brand-new performer, and my grandfather tipped him. My grandfather thought he tipped him five dollars. My grandfather did not tip him five dollars. He tipped him fifty dollars. He didn't care. Perfect. The performer was the performer was Glenn Campbell.
1: Oh man! Yeah. Whoa, that's so that yeah, he was great.
0: So that was that was that was that one there. So the whole idea of the book is just you telling stories that um, you entertained friends with, correct? That that's absolutely correct. Yep. That's and it, correct. are there certain stories that friends want to hear over and over again? I mean, are there more they want to hear when they're sober compared to intoxicated? How does this work?
1: Well, I, I think one of the more popular ones, you know, I've been an entrepreneur pretty much my whole life. Yeah. And um so, you know, the circles I ran in were a lot of people who were trying to make a go of it and certain things and I've got one story here about the day my business was trashed by a worm. <laughs> and that seems to be kind of a popular one, so uh, I can give you a real brief synopsis. Please of do. The Please do. Well, when I I moved to California, which to say I ran away from the farm and ended up in California, and I started this business where we uh, we would do kind of like commercials with still slides with a pre-recorded soundtrack and companies would play it you okay. know, in the in the field to make make sales and i gotta tell you bill how broke was i i was so broke i mean we we were really struggling because it's a hard deal to break into so i finally landed a contract with the largest maker of sprinkler systems in the world and i mean it took me like a year and man I needed that money. I mean, I'm telling you, that was grocery money. And it was prestigious. So I just hired this young kid because I was buried in work, who was the heir to a vitamin fortune. They're still in business today. But he decided he needed to get experience. I didn't know. So I sat him down. I said, look, we're going to see the CEO of this company. And he's got our deal. And the way it works and I'm sure you know this, Bill, from your own work, is that I said, you never talk creative ideas before we get the contract in check. Right. Because after you get the contract in check, if they don't like your idea, you go on the next idea. But if they hate your idea before you get the contract in check, it could, you could lose the deal. So I said, you just keep your mouth shut and, and listen, listen to me. And he said, I got it. I got it. No talking, You know, no creative stuff at all, and not before we get the deal. So in we go. And this guy was really excited, and he said, you know, I've been waiting my whole life to do something like this. He said, my family's excited about this. Our contract's laying on the table in front of him, right? He's got a pen. I mean, it's that moment. Right. And he he starts to sign his name, and he looks up and he says, you guys got any idea of what you're going to do, how you're going to approach this? And I started to do my usual thing of, well, no, we bring in a whole team and we kick around ideas and blah, blah. And my young apprentice said, well, yeah. I thought, oh, what? <laughs> and the and owner of the business looks up and he says, really? I mean, he's, he's interested now, right? Right. He says, really? What are you going to do? And I start, tried to break in and say, well, no, we're going to wait until. And he looked at me He said, no, Wayne, I want to hear what this young man has to say. So he turns to my little apprentice guy, and he says, okay, what's your idea? And my apprentice stands up, and he was gesturing now. And he looks up at the sky, and he says, we open with a picture of the giver of life, the sun. And my potential client's go, yes, yes. And then my apprentice says, and then we pan down to the rich humus of Mother Earth. (laughs) where your equipment goes. And the owner's going, yes, yes. And then and then we pan below the surface of the grass, into the dirt, and we focus on the mascot for the film, the representation of your business in the film. And the owner goes, what is it? What is it? And my apprentice goes, an earthworm. And, you know, you've heard the old story about what happens if you drop excrement into a punch bowl at a party. You know, there's this plop and yes. then a long silence yes. afterwards. The owner kind of sat there blinking for a minute and he looked at me and he said, do you think I have worked 40 years of my life to be represented by a worm? <laughs> well, that, <laughs> that was that. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and to my really my shame now it's the only time in my life I've ever done it but I fired him on the steps of that building uh-huh. and I just got in my car and drove away and later I heard that he had become CEO of his family's business what a shock there yeah. and as far as I know they never did a film so <laughs> and probably
0: he probably is the worm the uh the mascot of his company now or, I mean how'd that work <laughs> i I would be
1: it was such a great idea (laughs) why just let it die
0: yeah exactly (laughs) just keep it wiggling on the line there for a little bit longer exactly Uh,
1: exactly you know
0: that is that
1: inspiration that that
0: is that is good i mean and (laughs) i i just can't imagine i really can't but uh again the, the whole idea of these stories are are your life um now some of they the one- tales from the day so some of them like the day that kenny's cousin tried to kill us all the guys yes. that were involved in this story do they tell it the same way you do or do they just give you the the, the rights to say it without them trying to interrupt or change it?
1: well the, the guys that were involved in the story were all pretty rough characters on a forest fire crew in idaho okay and um uh, and so, you know, when I – for reasons that escaped me, Bill, I figured it was a good idea when I was really a college kid to go to Idaho and uh, uh, and fight forest fires for the summer. Uh, now, why, I don't know. I thought this was a good idea. And I was amply rewarded with actually getting a job doing that. And uh, so they put us out in these bunk houses way out in the bushes. And at the time, it was – men only, because everyone knew at that time that women didn't have the physical capability. I mean, just look at the, the world champion women's soccer team or the women's downhill skiers, fragile little deers. You right. know? <laughs> but, uh, but then it was men only. So we were on this forest crew, and one of my, uh, my colleagues was an Indian kid who, uh, after we fought a forest fire together, Along with telling me he was, he said he was Chief Joseph's Nesper's chief, uh, his grandson, and he told me his, you know, his grandfather's Nesper's name, and said he was called Chief Joseph by white pieces of crap like, well, you know, me. Mm-hmm. So Kenny was kind of a, a kind of prickly, you know. But one day we were short a crew member, and he said, you know, my cousin needs a job. And so he went to the Ranger, and the Ranger said, "Sure." So in came his cousin, who seemed affable enough. I just remember he had a scar running from his headline, his uh, hairline, down across his face and across his chin that he'd gotten from going through a windshield when, when drunk. Okay. And uh, he was he was he was amiable enough. I mean, in the forest crews, as long as you worked and you weren't a jerk, you got out okay. But one and we were probably 30 miles from the nearest town which was a place called Orofino. It's a tough little logging town and one night Kenny's cousin somehow got into town. And he came back and he was dead drunk and he had a gun. And he came in the bunkhouse and I don't I couldn't understand everything he said but kill all these guys was pretty clear. So, you know, he's he's sitting on his bunk and he's loading his gun. It's a rifle with a side loader, you know, and he was dropping bullets on the floor, but he was getting a few in, you could hear him go. Now, in the in the bunkhouse was two other guys. One of them was a, a miner from West Virginia who got up and grabbed the top of this big old stove, must have weighed 10 pounds. And another guy was a wizened old guy who used to make canes out of big tree burls. So I saw him go over and grab one of those. And even Kenny, the guy's cousin, pulled out a knife. I mean, no one wanted to die that night, right? So, to my credit, I leaped out of bed in my underwear. That was it. You know, I figured I was going to try and brain the guy with an apple from my Fruit Loom underwear label. You know, I mean, I had nothing. So, (laughs) there, we're we're all getting ready to descend on this guy. And you could hear, suddenly you could hear him lever the action on the rifle as he loaded it. He got a bullet in the chamber. Okay. And so, you know, mayhem was about to commence. And Kenny's cousin leaned over and over and over, and the next thing we heard was snoring. He'd fallen on <laughs> top of his gun, passed out, cold.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, uh huh. And so we took his gun away. And the next day they they came to collect it and took him somewhere. And um, after it, when they gave him back his gun and his bullets, which I thought was really stupid. But after he was gone, one of the other guys in the bunkhouse came up to me and said, here, he gave me a piece of metal. And I said, what's this? And he looked at me like I was an idiot, which I probably was. He said, that's the firing pin for that guy's rifle. Ah, and I still, I still have it. Okay. This very day. Yeah. So that story was, that was a, give me enough beer around the campfire and I'll tell that one. (laughs) But, uh, that was one of my, my Idaho stories. So, uh, that was quite a place to work, actually.
0: So, Wayne, unfortunately, it's almost time for us to go. It's hard to believe we've been talking for almost an hour already. Um,
1: can I can I plug my book again?
0: Sure, go ahead. I was going to plug it for you, but you can do it.
1: Thank you. Tales from the Day, and uh, available at Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Just type in Tales from the Day, and if you have to, my name, Wayne McFarland or you can go to www.talesfromtheday.com and see all the information on it. Thank you, Bill.
0: So, when I look at when I look at the Amazon site, which I'm on right now, it says Wayne McFarlane author, Gloria McFarlane editor. So, did your wife tell yep. you what stories not to put in or did she have you clean them up a little bit?
1: No, uh, other than Gloria as it turns out among many talents, has a real knack for the flow of the story. Okay. Uh, and that, you know, just because there is a flow to it, you know, for it to have coherence or whatever. And so she was very helpful when I'd get a draft done. And I tell you, I was more nervous when she would read it than anybody else. Uh, I'm and sure. And i kind of wait. Yeah. I'm sure. Wait. And then there, were, there were occasions she'd come back and say, don't change a word. And I swear to God, you know, I, I felt like throwing a party. And there were other times that she looked at me and said, no, not so much on this one. So, you know, but in terms of the content, no, never, never argues me about it. Well,
0: Wayne, I appreciate you joining me tonight. I had a wonderful time and uh, I I wish you the best. I'd love to have you back on again, um, just so you can tell some more great stories, because I'm sure there's more out there that's not in the book but again, this is this is going to be a great read for anybody that uh, that is looking for something. This it actually looks to me like a great summer read that you can read on the beach or at the cabin or wherever and pick up a story, read it, put it back down again, and pick it up the next day. So I appreciate you joining me tonight, and you have a great one.
1: Thank you, Bill. I enjoyed it very much. Thank, Thank you.
0: you. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you next time. Wayne McFarland, here online with Bill Alexander. The book is called Tales from the Day. And uh, you can check it out at Amazon.com and also at Barnes & Noble and also on the website TalesFromTheDay.com. Hard to believe we go through hours really quick on this program and uh, enjoy doing it. Again, thank you very much for Wayne for being a part of the program and also to let you guys know that we're airing on MTRI, Mixtape Radio International, around the work, around the world. Round the clock at www.mtri.co.uk. Also can hear us on wmck.fm, McKeesport, every Monday at 10, every Tuesday at 10, and now every Friday at 10. And also every Sunday morning at WLDJ 107.5 FM, Newcastle, PA, at hofmradio.com. And our newest edition every Tuesday. Actually, we have two editions. Our uh, newest edition is ninety one. Uh, 99.1 FM Radio Rehoboth.com, again, 99.1 FM Radio Rehoboth, every Tuesday at 6, and also Awakenings.eu every Tuesday at noon Eastern. So, folks, I'm glad you were able to stop by the program tonight, and we'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. This has been a Million Dollar Baby production.
1: If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also is not a shoebox or a place that's close to your parents. But far enough, they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends. But small enough, they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. Hear that?